Welcome to the Three Forms Podcast, a joint production of Beaver Dam Christian Reformed Church and Coopersville CRC. Together we are touring our historic Three Forms of Unity, the Belgic Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. Considering how these old and trusted paths can equip and lead God's people in the midst of today's challenges. So let's start this week's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode one. I am Pastor Lloyd Hemstreet. And I am Reverend Tyler Wagamaker. And today we are going to begin digging into the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day One. The Heidelberg Catechism. What is the Heidelberg Catechism, Lloyd? Well, it, it, we're starting with it. It's got to be the oldest of our three forms of unity, isn't it? Is that why we're starting with it? Well, well we're starting with it, not because it's the oldest. Um, it is our only catechism, however, Lloyd. That so, is true. That is true. Which is just a series of question and answers really designed to instruct the youth, but also providentially the old alike on the important truths of the Christian faith. Yeah, just like with children's sermons, uh, the whole congregation is listening and often learning more in that than at least many other parts of my sermons. So, <laughs> That's, anyway. That's just so, a general principle, I think, overall, Lloyd, yeah. um, uh, when it comes to preaching. For you, of course. For um, me. My so, congregation hangs on every single word, every age that I say, of course. So, nice, yes. nice. So, so anyway, yeah, we are looking at the Heidelberg Catechism. It goes back to... The 16th century, yeah, the yep. 1500s. Yep, 1500s. And it has the name Heidelberg because they thought that was uh, kind of a cool name to use back then, or why Why is it called Heidelberg? Heidelberg is a city in Germany, not that far from the Rhine River, also not that far from the city of Mannheim, which, of course, is where Mannheim Steamroller came from. Uh, definitely, right? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe. With, uh, with sure the, the wonderful... That. In fact, growing up, we would oftentimes listen to the Mannheim Steamroller, but... How much neater would it be if it was the Heidelberg Steamroller? The Heidelberg Steamroller. I know, it's like the Heidelberg Catechism uh, that, and playing with may, that Heidelberg Steamroller music. I think that could be, time. maybe, uh, you know, Calvin University is going to have a new football team. Maybe they should be the Heidelberg Steamroller. Oh, I like that as a name. You know, maybe even just ditch the whole night thing and let's just right. go with the Steamroller. You know, I, I'm seeing possibilities, even in terms of of artwork and oh, uh, graphics that they could come up with. There's a, a lot of mighty steamroller. Here. Yeah, but, but the Heidelberg Catechism in itself is its own kind of it steamroller of energy. It was boy because it it really defines. Uh, for us as Reformed Christians, what we understand, what we believe, because it pulls in things like the Apostles' Creed, which is an age-old uh, creed that unites Christians throughout the world together of what we understand, who our God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. The Heidelberg Catechism talks about the Lord's Prayer, and it unpacks yep. that for us, which is a wonderful, rich prayer. The Heidelberg Catechism unpacks for us the Ten Commandments yep. about how we ought to live our lives. Um, what else does the Heidelberg Catechism unpack for us? Well, yeah, th those are the big things that were common in catechisms of that uh, day and yes. age as they were writing them. Most of them would hit those main notes of the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. And we see that in, in all the different catechisms, kind of of that age and, and time frame. Uh, the uh, Heidelberg Catechism, the authors of that were... Casper uh, Olivianus. Right, 
and also Zacharias or Sinus or Sinus, I believe, was the main author, the primary author, the primary yep. author of yep. that, which was because he was probably in his sixties or seventies at his, at that time. Oh, very very old, except not. No, he was actually quite young. And in many ways, that's actually an encouragement. I always, when I hear that, I, that's always an encha- uh, a challenge. Uh, when I think about how young some of these Protestant reformers were, and yeah. those who created some of these catechisms, for instance, right. like right. Rosinus, and and yet they were so so deep in Scripture, it was um, so much a part of their world and their life and their way of thinking, and that many ways puts us to shame nowadays. I yeah, think. I, uh, I, I've 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 wasted my entire life. Basically, that's what it comes down to. That's right. That's why I'm reminded of over and over. Again. Well, it's good to be reminded of of the waste of we uh, of things. Uh, but your life is actually very valuable. Oh. Uh, in fact, you are someone who is treasured by the Lord. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds you of that. That it in does. many ways. Uh, that it does. Of who you are in Christ Jesus. Which is why it's such a warm, personal document. Right. And, in fact, it starts out even very warm and personal. Right. I mean, it starts with question one. We'll go ahead and dig in. What is your only comfort in life and in death? This is a question I remember, Lloyd, growing up at Coopersville Christian Reformed Church. I don't know if you've heard of that place. I, uh, if I you're have. Familiar. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I know some of those people. You know some of the folks, huh? Because they're, they're great folks at Coopersville. So, But one of my pastors, of course, when we were young— taught us the the Heidelberg Catechism the, to memorize it, and we were asked that question. We had to memorize this. Well, we had to memorize all the question and answers, but it seems like question and answer one, especially is one of those question and answers that God's people, especially in the Christian Reformed Church, really love this question and answer. It is right. probably the most treasured, the most dear of all of the question and answers. I, I think of the so. As, as we started off with the, the kind of intro commercial to this, we talked about the reality that our confessions, we want to talk about them because many people today do not know them. The one exception to this may be question one. Question, <laughs> that, that, right. They know that one. Um, but hey, there is so much richness here. It, you can return to it again and again and continue to grow in, in the beauty and the depth therein. So you even that, mentioned that actually, Lloyd. I, uh, I have a funeral coming up this week and I was meeting with the family yesterday and one of the things that the the family requested, and I was going to mention it too if they didn't, was to say we would like to hear question answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, it's a dear saint, a wonderful dear lady who walked with the Lord, such a sweet woman, and she was someone who you could see in her life she truly had that comfort in life and even as she was approaching the end of her days and the end of life itself. And we see this so often in God's people, how they gravitate towards. I I can't think of how many times, numerous times, and the quite number of funerals I've done over the years where question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism was was recited, was on the uh, bulletin kind of little program that they would hand out. And uh, that was just part of the the comfort that God's people in that moment really needed to be reminded right. of in life and in death. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, you had so, asked the question again, what is yep. your only comfort in yep. life and death? What's the answer to that, Lloyd? The answer to that is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. 
Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. So there we have it. Lord's Day 1, the answer. Well, question and answer 1, because we still have a second question and answer coming up. We'll cover that real soon. We got to get to that. So... So we gotta keep moving here, uh, Tyler. So, but, but what do we what do we see here? Where what is what is the first thing that strikes you from this answer that they give here in in question well, one? It asks about what is this comfort, and I think Lloyd, one of the things that as as people in the world, no matter no matter what your stripe, no matter what your you know religious background, uh, no matter what your ideological understanding of things politically or whatnot, is in many ways it's always a contention for comfort. Um, people are always gravitating for comfort, for safety, for security, for refuge, and in life. I was I was over in in England this past fall traveling. One of the places that I went to was the city of Salisbury, an ancient city. In fact, there was on the outskirts of the city there was the old city. It was an old fortress. Uh, that uh, went back nearly 2,000 years on the wow. top of this kind of hill, and that had been built up there. It's the ruins of it now, but was wandering around there, exploring there, and I could see where the old, the old church used to be, the old cathedral, and and these are old, thick walls that now are in ruins, and I'm looking down on the city of Salisbury now, as it currently stands, there's no more walls around there. Um, there's no ancient city walls protecting the city of Salisbury there in the UK. But but I, I was struck in that moment that people 2,000 years ago when they started to build these walls and they were developed over the hundreds of years, people would find their refuge, their their comfort really, in, in being safe and secure in the walls of this old ancient kind of city of which now the walls aren't there because right. when we when we look for our security and our safety in the walls of this world, which a lot of times people understandably they build up around themselves to keep themselves safe, right? They fall apart, Lloyd. Yeah, they they don't last. And and I was thinking, well, what are the walls? As I'm looking down in Salisbury, they don't today. They don't have any walls around them now. But 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 God's people are still in the heart of their reminding the people. Uh, because in the middle of Salisbury is a giant cathedral, mm-hmm. um, where actually you find the Magna Carta, a copy or not a copy, one of the original Magna Cartas oh, wow. is is found there. Okay, and and but it is a giant cathedral with a spire that is the tallest spire in all of uh, in all of England. A church spire, four hundred and fifty feet tall. Wow, Gi- absolutely gigantic. This e- mammoth, enormous Christian church that towers over. The, the community around there. And I think this is this is the reminder to us where we need to find our comfort, where the people of Salisbury need to find their comfort, is not in the walls of a city, not in the walls. And a lot of times, of course, we don't make physical walls today, but people today find try to create the comfort in life through all sorts of other walls. Absolutely. Um, uh, because we want to protect ourselves in terms of health issues, in terms yeah. of, of lifestyle, in terms of rights and responsibilities. And 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 so you know, we just came through a COVID epi- epidemic, and I'm reminded even to through that that a lot of times people were trying to create this comfort, this safety through right. through you know through requirements of don't get within six feet of me, and 
and always wear a mask around me, or you have to get this shot, and, and then not only this shot, but then a booster, and then another booster, another. And it was an attempt on some level, understandably so, we want to protect our health, but, but people on a deeper level were looking for this safety, this security, right. that ultimately only God, only Jesus Christ can provide. Well, I mean, no matter what it is, it only lasts so long. It I does. Mean, I mean, the, the walls that you saw... 2,000 years ago, it held up for a long time. But as the catechism asks, what's your only comfort in life and in death? Those walls don't protect anyone after you're dead, right. after you're gone. Exactly. And all of us are going to die unless Jesus returns first. That's right. And so the catechism starts off with this question where it's calling us to talk, think deeper, think eternally, not only what is it that's going to comfort us and lead us and protect us in this world, but what is preparing us for that world which is to come as well. And we need that eternal perspective in order to help orient ourselves on the choices we make in life. And that's a, that's a daily struggle in many ways. Again, am I storing up for myself treasures here on earth, or am I to store up for myself treasures in heaven, that which awaits me after I leave this present life. Right. That death is the, the door, really, for Christians into the life to come into eternity. Absolutely. And so, yeah, yep. what do we live for? Yep. Now, uh, the answer here is the, the answer starts off with the reality that we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to Jesus Christ. Uh, that really m smashes heads with the Western culture with the radical individualism and, uh, mm. you know, yeah. freedom-mindedness that we see around us that I'm sovereign, I can declare today whatever I want to declare, and you have to go along with it. And Christianity starts off 100% in opposition to that and says, no, you have no place, you have no uh, standing, your value is in belonging to Christ. That That is where where our true reality lies. That's where our true identity lies in not what I declare, not what I think, not what I want, but in the reality that I am not my own. I was bought at a price. The identity issue is one of the, the big issues of our day, that sense of identity. And, and again, right, like you said, Lloyd, who gets to define my identity? And, and the catechism reminds us that as Christians, Jesus Christ is our identity. He's the one is to whom we belong. He's the one who then gets to shape who we are and how we perceive ourselves, how we understand ourselves, which is a process that's sanctification. That's, you know, that's something of the dying of the old self coming to life of the new self. And, uh, but this is that constant call to the church, call to us as Christians of this belonging, which has a comfort to it, but it also has a, a responsibility to us in this life and in the life to come of what it looks like. Right, right. Yeah, we were, we were bought at a price. Um, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 it falls right in lines with this, as it says in verse 19 into 20, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And our bodies belong to him. And so that, that is the reality that we see everywhere we go. It, um, uh, question and answer one brings us back to that, too, where it talks about Jesus fully paying for all my sins with his precious blood. I know we just, uh, here in Beaver Dam, we just celebrated the Lord's Supper this past uh, Sunday morning. And that's that constant reminder 
of of comfort that we find because of what Christ did there. Um, take, eat, remember, and believe. Take, drink, remember, and believe that the body, that this blood was was given, was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our many sins. And that is an encouragement that's a, a wonderful comfort that, again, is wrapped up here in question and answer one that we see reflected, for instance, even in our sacraments themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, he's paid for us with his precious blood, and it goes on and says, set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Oh. Uh, boy, we're Calvinists. I thought we believed in total depravity. Uh, are Christians totally depraved, Tyler? Christians, uh, by our nature, are, are totally depraved, and we see that depravity work itself, of course, in our, in our flesh, in our everyday lives. But in Christ, we are also new creations. We have been set free from that tyranny. We, we are able now, through the power of God, to be able to, to, to choose the right. right. We are not slaves anymore to that old nature. We're not slaves to the tyranny of the devil right. anymore. Right, we were. Uh, humanity is slaves to sin. That's the direction that they're headed. But those in Christ, those that were dead, those bones have now come to life. The heart that was a rock has now become flesh, and and in that way, we are no longer stuck in that. And so we are called to live into that new life. Uh, you know, Romans seven talks about the battle between the old nature and and versus that new nature, and. God's word uh, repeatedly calls us to live into that freedom that has been declared over our lives. And it is freedom, although the world a lot of times won't say it's freedom. Again, the devil tries to make it look like like being part of, of Christ and with with the law of God, that that's the tyranny. It's right. it's keeping you from being your true, authentic self, of belonging to yourself. Um, the world defines tyranny as belonging to the Lord, and and that plays itself out. And we see this with the Abide Project too, with sexual ethics and and a whole other. We know beyond even just matter of sexuality that that the world's message of you define yourself. That's true freedom is belonging to yourself, and but really what it is, it's tyranny to your sin. It's being tyrannized by the evil one. It's being tyrannized by the world, which apart from Christ, again, is, is the one in whom we, you know, people serve, uh, whom, they, whom they are under the dominion of, uh, until Christ sets us free from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that is why it's, it is so critical, and that's why the Catechism starts off with this declaration of freedom that we've been given. Not only is there the declaration of freedom, but along with that comes uh, the Lord's providential protection. Mm, yes. Not a hair can fall from my head. Um, Tyler, sometimes I wonder if there are <laughs> any more hairs to fall from your head. <laughs> you're, 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 you're hilarious, Lloyd, <laughs> super hilarious. Um, uh, that's right. That's just because I, I've been told it is a way that the, the, the hair simply cannot contain the brain underneath. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the amount of knowledge and understanding. Okay, okay. So the brain just keeps pushing its way out, and the hair, there's just no room for it always. I, I'm not having so that much. problem, so the, I don't know. You make of that what you will. Well, you make of that what you will. Ex exactly, Lloyd. I think this will become very evident in the upcoming episodes um, uh, where this is really actually trending. So, there you go. Yes. There you go. But there is that call of, of God's protection that, and, and as we get into the later Lord's Days and talk about the providence of God, 
the beauty of that reality and the comfort that that is for God's people. This is all aimed towards comfort, and and we see that here in Lord's Day 1 as well. And that's part of, you know, it brings me even to, to some of the, the comfort of belonging to, to Jesus Christ. This passage from Jude, a lot of times this will be a way that will be God's parting blessing that I will use, again, in here in Beaver Dam in the worship service, where it says, to him who is able to keep you from falling mm-hmm. and to present you before uh, his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, and then it goes that axology again, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, O Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. But especially, again, that it is Jesus Christ who will, who will keep you. It is Jesus Christ who will present you before the presence of the Father without fault, with great joy, because of his precious blood who is who has set me free, who has fully paid for all my sins, who has brought me that righteousness so that I, I can find my refuge and my protection ultimately in Jesus Christ that frees me up to live vibrantly in this world, that, that frees me up in many ways to then live with boldness. To I, I think of how many missionaries, for instance, in the great missionary endeavors of the past, uh, where, where these missionaries would oftentimes be sent out and go into places where they would not see their families for years and years and years, and they would go into places they didn't even know if they would even survive that, but they had a boldness, a confidence going into it, knowing that because I belong to Jesus Christ, I, I can have a, a a confidence that even if I lose my life, I will still be okay. Um, and that just really does set us free to, to know that when I'm right with God, when my sins have been paid for, that I will be presented before the presence of God without fault and with great joy, that I have peace there, then now I can live my life to the glory of God, which then calls me out sometimes to these most amazing endeavors in the church, not to cowardly and, and timidly sit behind the walls of my house, afraid to really go out and, and engage, but instead to, to with boldness, uh, go and serve the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean the 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 final section, the third paragraph of answer one says, "Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life." That is that confidence once again that we're getting at. And uh, in Coopersville on Sunday, we also celebrated the Lord's Supper. And oh. I have been preaching through uh, the book of First John, and hmm. as we are coming to the end of First John in in chapter five, you know. John gives his purpose statement for why he wrote this book, and he does so in the gospel, too. He wrote these things so that you may believe and have life in Christ. But the purpose statement that he gives in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Once again, that call to assurance of our salvation, so different from all the... uh, false religions of the world, all those that are questioning, well, have I done enough? Have I uh, obeyed enough? Do I have enough good works to outweigh my bad? Christianity says, no, in Christ, we have assurance that our salvation has been completed. And so that is where the, the catechism goes as well, to assure us of the eternal life we have with Christ. Very important and very key. Amen. I, I'm not even Baptist background like you, Lloyd, but sometimes I'll give you an amen on on here. <laughs> okay, so, okay. Uh, so there we go. I, I appreciate my Baptist, that. Uh, I, 
there there was a Baptist background in in my family uh, uh, like two generations ago, so okay. it, it does work its way in. Uh, okay, so, okay, so very go. good, there's, very there's good. Amen on that. All right. Is there anything else as we wrap up on question one, or are we ready to well, move to question? Th- this is just to let you know how cultured I am here, Lloyd. Uh, there's actually this poem I, I came across a number of years ago, and I thought this is very dear. It's it's a poem by David White. It's the House of Belonging, and I think a lot of times it's a it's a it is a reminder to us that people are longing for a place of belonging, a place of 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 identity. And and sometimes people will look to for a place like, for instance, their their home, uh, a place where they can can find their security. Um, if you want, I can read you this poem. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure I can stop you. So go at, ahead at this point. OK, so but but it, it goes this way. It says, I awoke this morning in the gold light turning this way and that thinking for a moment it was one day like any other. But the veil had gone from my darkened heart and I thought. It must have been the quiet candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the first easy rhythm with which I breathed myself to sleep. It must have been the prayer I said, speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought, this is the good day you could meet your love. This is the black day someone close to you could die. This is the day you realize how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light, the tawny, close-grained cedar burning round me like fire, all the angels of this housely heaven ascending through the first roof of light the sun has made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness, and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house like the house of belonging. Now, he's writing that, of course, in the context, Lloyd, of, of one's home where the experiences of life are, are taking shape. But as a, as a pastor, I think, I think of the house of the Lord. I think of the the house where you get to go to be reminded of this comfort in Jesus Christ. I I think about the house of the Lord where you get to meet with the Lord and have a meal with him with the Lord's Supper, where you're reminded and you hear Jesus Christ speak to you through the power of his living word. And as Christians, we take comfort in that that's where our belonging takes place. That's where our ultimate home is, is, is in glory itself, the home that Jesus Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. It is to be with our Lord. That is the place of, of this warmth, of this sense that my identity is in Christ, and, and therefore I, I have nothing to fear in life and in death itself. And so I'm thankful, Lloyd, for for Jesus Christ, my faithful Savior, who makes this everything possible and makes life worth living in so, so many rich ways. Amen. Amen. I'll give you an amen too, Tyler. Okay, so, there we go. Thank there you, Lloyd. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, Lord's Day 1 continues with question 2, which is important because it uh, kind of sets up the rest of the entire catechism mm, too. It does. So question 2 what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Question one is laid out this incredible comfort that those who belong to Christ have. Question two is, okay, so what do we need to 
possess that comfort. Which is a great follow-up question by the Huddleberg Catechism. Very wise. Yep. Like, so what's the answer to that? It's the, a short answer. The answer to that is three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sin and, and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. The three sections here, uh, often summarized as sin, salvation, and service, that is what is laid out as what we need to know to be able to live and die in this comfort. And, uh, you know, this isn't exactly how the world uh, or how uh, many parts of popular Christianity are talking today. Uh, you know, the Super Bowl was on recently, and it had the big ad campaign that's been running all through the football season and then made some big ad buys on, uh, you know, he gets us, uh, talking about Jesus and and trying to, to make him as uh, acceptable kind of as possible and low entry. <laughs> the Heidelberg Catechism says, well, it's not a low entry that we start with. It's the high entry of sin. How great my sin and misery are. I, I like even that that word misery. What right. a, what an ama- what a great word to describe to describe life apart from Christ. Ultimately, it is a life of misery and an eternity of misery. I mean, and, and we see that all over. I mean, we we started off going back to Lord's Day question one once again with uh, this idea of I'm not my own. There's so much uh, talked about today of you are your own person. And what does it lead to? Record numbers of depression, record numbers of of medication to try and counsel it or, or to to mm-hmm. uh, assuage the conscience, uh, just horrible off the charts of suicide rates and all these things, because they are ignoring the misery of what it means to be on your own, to 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 answer to no one but yourself. It is truly misery. It, greatly, and um, uh, again, we just had another another campus uh, shooting uh, shooter. We don't know always the the reason for every single shooter, but oftentimes it goes back. It's a reflection on the miserable state of the condition of man's heart. Absolutely. That, uh, what would what would motivate someone to to then just go and and shoot up perfectly innocent people who are just going about their everyday lives and to and to so recklessly take the lives of others and destroy it and rip it apart and and cause this ripple throughout. Now you know it's going to ripple through many different families and communities. This is what misery does. It it reverberates its destructive um, effects into individual lives, into the politics of life, into between nations. Uh, you know, I think about the the war going on right now between Ukraine and Russia, and how Russia invaded Ukraine, and the misery that they are inflicting. The Russian people, uh, especially under Putin, are inflicting the army are inflicting upon the Ukrainians and many Christians, of course, there who are who are suffering greatly. And this is the misery of sin and of pride that we have to repent of. That we right. have to. But we first have to be confronted with it and recognize it. It's so easy for us to say, well, that's a good person. I don't know when, when someone asks me about Tyler, the first thing that come to mind are never, well, he's a good person. But <laughs> no, I understand the sin and misery. But, <laughs> well, that, Ephesians. But, but we have to be confronted with that. And that's what God's word is going to do. And so that is the first step. We need to know how great our sin and misery are. 
so that we would be called to turn away from it and look for help elsewhere. I think of Ephesians 2, Lloyd, the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2, in many ways, it's question and answer to summarizing Ephesians 2, mm-hmm. the first 10 verses, because first one, for instance, Paul starts out by saying, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedience, uh, disobedient. And, and so and he goes on, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is, this is Paul really spelling out that first part, how great my sin and misery are in such vivid language. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it doesn't stop there, because what's the second point, again, of question two? Salvation. Salvation. That's Set what we need. free. Absolutely. That, that freedom. Deliverance. How Deliverance. am I going to be delivered from the misery and taken out of this destruction that I find myself stuck in in this world. And this is where verse 4 begins then of Ephesians 2. So Paul lays out how great our sin was, but then he says, but, I love that word, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and then he goes on from there. But that is so beautiful. That is so powerful, Lloyd. That is the second part, how I am set free. But the, the freedom comes in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. It doesn't come in myself creating that in my own life. It doesn't come through any self-help program. It doesn't come through any medical aid on the outside or any government laws that might be passed to, to bring about a beautification or some sort of utopia in this world at all. It doesn't come from that at all. Instead, it comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. Yep, yep, absolutely. And so that salvation in Christ is where it where the heart of this is and and we have to be reminded of that over and over again because there are many that are proposing well we'll get to salvation we'll get to utopia here in this world and the catechism says you can look for salvation anywhere in this world it's going to come up empty every time every time every, every time, time. yeah so and then but then Ephesians but then there's a third point there's the third point service uh gratitude how how then you know if I belong to Christ, how does Christ want me to live with my life? That's right. And that and Ephesians 2 um, uh, ends that way, at least starting with verse 8. It reminds us again, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So the works aren't getting us the salvation, of course. Jesus Christ is the one who gets the salvation. But then it goes on and says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So why were we set free from our sin and misery, Lloyd? I, I, I mean, it really unpacks it there in such a beautiful way. We were, we were set free in order to glorify God. Kind of, now we're going to Westminster Shorter Catechism there. What <laughs> there is the are. chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we were created in Christ Jesus and, to do. And how do we do that? It's by living in accordance with his law. That's right. In accordance right. with his commands, knowing how I am then called to serve him. And, and that is what the Catechism in its third section is going to spend. And it is the largest section of the Catechism as well. Um, because, you know, 
after being saved in Christ, after recognizing the wonder of the redemption we have in him, the goal for the rest of our life is to live now in such a way that whether we work, whether we eat, sleep, or whatever we do, that it would all be done for the glory of God. And That's so, right. And this thankfulness, the spirit of thankfulness. Absolutely. That, that pervades that. I'm to thank God for my deliverance. He, he saved me. And that thankfulness plays itself out, for instance, like you said, in prayer. Prayer right. is the chief form of thankfulness. Absolutely. It's an area we're oftentimes not thankful the way we need to be. And the Heidelberg Catechism is such a good corrective, a good reminder to us to be like, okay, did you say thank you? Um, in, in fact, that was, as I think about this funeral coming up, that was one of the family members was, was reminding us that her mom always taught her before she left the house when she'd go visit someone else, remember to say please and thank you. And say please and thank you. Yep. And yep. so especially that that thank you, that that's a good reminder. Not only when we go and visit someone's house, right? But that's how that's how we're supposed to live our our every day in the sight of God. Say, please, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And thank you for for blessing me and strengthening me and helping me and give me the grace for this day. Thank you for Jesus Christ right, for right. all that he's done for me. And this is such a cult- countercultural uh, message in this day and age, too. Uh, How so, I, I, I saw, you know, I, I was heard a podcast that was talking about a TikTok video a little while ago, and it was this lady going on on how she's so frustrated when people do hashtag blessed, and instead <laughs> you need to do hashtag privilege because you're just showing your privilege and 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 it's this uh you know this cultural mindset against thankfulness against gratitude against recognizing because if you have a blessing where did it come from it's not your blessing it's a blessing you've received and and so you turn in gratitude and the catechism is going to say that is what the christian life is about turning in gratitude recognizing all the gifts we've been given and living more and more fully into that new life in Christ Jesus that we've been given. One of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about question answer too, Lloyd, is this is such a, it's short and sweet. It's such a great evangelism tool. Because um, sometimes Christians say, I don't know how to engage in conversation with someone who's wondering about the faith. And and you could say, we could point them to question answer two of the Heidelberg Catechism is to say, Walk them through that. Absolutely. How, you know, how, how great my sin and misery are, how, how much I need a Savior. But you know what? There's a solution to that. Jesus Christ, who delivered me. So now I get to talk about who Jesus is. And okay, now this has implications for how I live my life. Um, now, some there, there are some Christian traditions that seem to almost forget the first two points. <laughs> uh, forget the first one. They don't even want to talk about sin. Right. Um, uh, and instead, and they they mention a bit about Jesus, but most of the preaching that comes from the pulpit is is like all the third one. And it's not even necessarily thankfulness to God for deliverance. It's go do this, be go, good, be good. Yeah. Um. Uh, keep this law. It's almost it's a social gospel, right? And right. It's, and social gospel. And Jesus, in 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 uh, opposition to that, said, you know, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The love for him comes first. And how do we get to that love? It's recognizing who he is and what he has done. No greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And so recognizing his salvation and to see that salvation goes all the way back to the sin and misery. We have to see how hopeless we are without him. Well, and the, and so, the, the wonderful thing about this is laying down one's life for one's friends, but, but sometimes we even presume, well, we were a friend of God. We were enemies of God. Um, uh, and yet Jesus Christ still laid down his life for us. We absolutely. weren't even friends. Absolutely. Um, uh, we, 
we were enemies that, upon. That we were. And she, but that's how but, we need to understand how great our sin and misery are. And the Heidelberg Catechism is going to, that's going to be the next section. That's what we're going into. We're, we're going, going into in. part one in our next episode. But as a uh, question and answer to keep things short and sweet, I think we're going to uh, try and cut this off here and <laughs> call that good enough for episode one and Lord's Day one. We're thankful for the incredible comfort we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Three Forms Podcast, a joint ministry of Beaverdam Christian Reformed Church and Coopersville CRC. To contact us, feel free to reach out through our Facebook page, Substack, on YouTube, or email us directly at threeformspodcast at gmail.com. Three Forms Podcast, walking the good and trusted old paths together. Thank you.